Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. been for the last few weeks now looking at out of uh, the, the, the book of Acts when, when Paul was about to be shipwrecked, they threw out four anchors to, to steady the, the ship. And we've looked at, at, at four different things and I'm not going to go back and, um, and look at those again, but, but one of those four we, we said, and you could come up with a lot of different I could preach that sermon nine times and come up with four different anchors every time. So don't think that there's something sacrosanct about those four. But one of those was knowing that you have a purpose. And it, it, it amazes me the number of people that don't know that they have a purpose for being on this planet. God, God doesn't just create human beings for no reason. He, he puts us here. He could have, have picked any time period and placed you in it. But he picked this time period and this place. And there is a reason why he did. Now, the, the general reason, um, the Westminster Catechism, which is from 1600, the, the Church of England, Church of Scotland, they wanted to come up with a, a, a short recitation of things that, that this is the essence of, the, of the, the faith, of being a Christian. And I don't get real into catechisms, but I, I liked the fact that this one starts with this question. Before you start thinking about what is it to be a Christian, it, it asks the question, what is man's chief end? Put that in modern English why am I here? You know, the, the great philosopher, Forrest Gump, asked his mother, if you remember that movie, and, and she had been diagnosed with cancer, and he ran home to, to, you know, to be with his mama, and she told him she was dying, and, and he, she, he asked her why, and she said, well, that's just my destiny. And he said, mama, what's my, do I have a destiny? Well, the answer is Yes. We have a destiny. We have a reason we're here. And, and, and the Westminster Catechism says this is the destiny. This is the reason we're all here. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him, to enjoy God forever. <clears throat> That's why we're here. And they, there are scriptures to back that up. And I'm just going to run through these quickly. Psalm 86 verse 9. All nations whom you have made, God has made, shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. That's why the nations exist, to glorify the name of Jesus. Isaiah 60, verse 21, I like the, the New Living Testament version of that. It says, all your people will be righteous. They will possess their land forever, for I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. Now, if we talk about a person bringing themselves glory, we kind of look at them a little sideways and, you know, maybe they're just a little conceited. It's not 
conceited for God to say, I need to be glorified. If you look at creation, think of this. Look at the creation events in, in Genesis chapter 1. God did not create man until um, the sixth day. But on every day, up until he created man, when he ended that day of creation, he stood back and he said, it's good. Who is he talking to? Have you ever thought about that? Who's he talking to? Jesus elbows the Father and he said, we're good. It's the Godhead in themselves saying, I'm telling you right now, we, we did good on this. Now, this is just day one. Wait till day two. And in the end of day two, the Holy Spirit looked at Jesus and said, wow, that's good. And they did that every day until they created man. And they created man so man could look around, see life, and say, God, you are good. That's the whole reason we're here. Uh, let me go on a little bit. New Testament, Romans eleven thirty six, For everything comes from Him, meaning God, and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Amen. You know, it's interesting. We, we have this great scientific knowledge. And I, 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 Steve browbeat me and twisted my arm till he taught me, talked me into teaching a physics class at the school this year. I'm not sure I'll ever be quite the same towards him now. But as <laughs> long as I teach the class, right? But here's the interesting thing. We, we, have, we, we have such a knowledge of physics today that we, we've created rockets, we've created satellites, we, we have the technology. We sent a, a spaceship to Pluto, and believe me, I've thought about this, you have no concept of, of how hard it was to get that spaceship to, to come within a few thousand miles of Pluto, and we launched it, I forget, it was like a decade before it crossed Pluto, we launched it a decade before. And they time that's like shooting a rifle and hitting a, a or shooting a BB and hitting another BB on the moon and doing it time after time. But here's my point. We have all this vast knowledge of physics. Do you know that they have no idea what the what the universe consists of? They have two things that they they describe. It's the majority of the of the uh, universe is made up of something they call dark matter. And the majority of the energy in the universe is made up of dark energy. And you know why they call it dark matter and dark energy? They don't have the foggiest clue what, what it is or how it works. They, they know because of Einstein's theory that, that where our planet hangs is, is this substance or this something that's called space-time. And they have no idea what it is. It's empty space. How do you describe it? They don't know. They don't know how it works. They can't, they can't figure it out. For all of our vast knowledge, we don't have the first clue how God has put our, our universe together. Glory to God. I mean, the little, tiny fraction of a thimbleful of knowledge we've got, we have created all kinds of of things, and we don't understand any of it, none of it. 
Doesn't keep me from going out and starting my car. Now, I can tell you the theory behind it. I can't fix it, but I can tell you the theory behind most of it. But most of the things I use, I don't have a clue. Not the first clue how they work, but we use them. How can we do that? Because God has made everything. Everything exists by His power. And it's intended for His glory. The shame of it is, is we've got thousands and millions of people that look at all that and say, well, we don't understand it, but you know, there really can't be a God. Really? The whole universe consists of what it consists of, and we don't understand it. But it just happened by happenstance. Nothing just happened to split into something and anti-something. Really, that's your explanation. My two-year-old grandson can come up with a better explanation than that. When it comes right down to it, we don't know. We don't know. We just know that it is, and we know that God did it, and we know He's a glorious God. And that's why we're here. 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price. Talking about us. We just talked about a little bit in one of those songs about the crucifixion, the, 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 the cross. That's what it cost God to have a relationship with us because after we fell, He couldn't have a relationship with us because we were sinful. And yet Jesus came and did all the things in that price. If Let's just say you all get real generous. And after church today, Pastor Nanny grabs me and he says, Look, we really wanted to bless you. We just love you. So out in the parking lot, you're going to find a brand new Lamborghini. And here's a credit card. When you go to buy gas, put all the gas charges on this. When you go to buy your insurance, put the gas or the insurance costs on the credit card. When you need to buy tires, and I have to buy tires a lot if I'm driving a Lamborghini because the rear ones ain't going to stay on more in a day. Go buy you some new tires, put it on the credit card. Is that Lamborghini free? Ain't no way. I tell you, if this congregation buys me a Lamborghini and gives me that credit card, you're all going to make a huge sacrifice individually to do that. Yet does it cost me a thing? I can look at that, and I can go hop in that car and mistreat it and, and do all kinds of things and, 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 and you know, let it sit out in the rain and never wash it and never do anything because it's free and I don't value it because it didn't cost me anything. But it cost you a lot. We are bought at a price. It's free to me, but it ain't free. It cost Jesus everything he was to bring that to me. And I need to, to keep that in mind that that's, it, was, it cost him everything. Therefore, still in 1 Corinthians 6.20, therefore, because of the price, because of the expensiveness of it, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I have to glorify him because he paid a huge price for little old me. And he paid that price for little old me when I was shaking my finger in his face and cursing him. First Corinthians 10.31, similar. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is talking about your lifestyle. In, in 
Paul in, in the Corinthian church, it was a big controversy. Do you eat meat or not eat meat? Because eat meat might be uh, sacrificed with idols, and if you eat the meat to sacrifice to an idol, you become one with the idol. Same reason we, we take communion. The reason we take communion is it signifies that through the body and the blood of Jesus, we have become one with Him. It's not just a snack in church. It, it commemorates a joining. They were saying, I don't ever want to eat meat because it might have been sacrificed to an idol and I don't want to join myself to an idol. And Paul's saying, don't worry about the meat. Worry about what you are, what your mindset is. Are you praying over your food? Are you sanctifying it? Are you thanking God that you get, got this food? If you are, just eat it and go on. I have people all the time tell me, oh, you don't, need, you don't want to eat, you don't know what's in your food. There's pesticides and there's herbicides and there's chemicals and there's all this pollution in your, in your vegetables and in your meat and you don't know what you're eating. You're darn tootin' I don't know what I'm eating. And when I go to a restaurant, I pray over my food. You know why? Because I don't know what Joe so-and-so did back there. And the, he may have picked up that nice juicy steak and dropped it on the floor when he went to put it on the plate. And he just got up, rinsed it off, and threw it back on the grill for 30 seconds. I have no idea. So you know what I do? It comes out, I'm thankful for it, and I pray over it. And it's not going to do me any harm. That's, he, that, that is a, a that he's specifically talking about whether you eat or drink. He's specifically talking about food there, but the, 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 the principle works. Whatever you do, do it in faith or don't do it. If you can't do it in faith, leave it alone. Because what you do in faith glorifies God. What you do out of faith does not glorify God. And then, then the last one, Revelation 4, verse 11, speaking of, of, of Jesus, he says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I've had students ask me before, well, what is this dark matter and this dark energy? And I have one very clear answer. Well, I have two answers. One, I don't know. But secondly, I know right here, it's Jesus. What's holding the, the, the galaxy together or the, the, the um, yeah, I lost it, the Milky Way together? Jesus. What's, what's, what's keeping everything moving faster than we can, under, can, we can explain? Jesus. It says right there, He is, is whole, He created everything and by His will they existed and are created and they're held together. Now, question is, if I'm created to glorify God, how do I live this out? Well, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture, and I'm going to try to move through these fast because I thought I'd take three minutes to do that. I've been 15, and I know you all want to go eat sometime today. Hopefully, they'll still be serving burgers at 5 when we get out. John 17, 1, how do I, how do I live this life? Well, Jesus set the pattern. John chapter 17 is Jesus' great prayer. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. Jesus looked at the Son. Now, you, you have to understand, I know Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, 
But you have to understand, when it says that Jesus spoke these words, it's talking specifically here about his humanity. This is the man Jesus, and he was perfect. He was sinless. But remember, in him, you are perfect and sinless too. So this is something that we, we are required, even though this is the God-man, we can't say, well, Jesus can do that and I can't. No. No. A thousand times no. Jesus did this as, a, as an example for us, and this is required of us too. What did he say? You glorify me so I can glorify you. Now, we saw when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was glorified, he was fully glorified, and he shone. The glory got on him, and he was shining brightly. God can't pour that much glory on us, because I would be a little ash heap if he did, because my flesh still contains sin. Jesus has never had sin, because he lived, he was born sinless and lived sinless. I was born in sin and have sinned a lot more since then. I inherited Adam's original sin, and I've added to it a time or two. Brother, you weren't supposed to laugh that hard. Go to verse 10. This is Jesus praying, still praying. All and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He's talking about people. He's saying, Lord, look, I'm in you, and you are in me, but everybody that you've given me are yours. And all of yours are all of mine, and I'm glorified in them. So he set this pattern. Drop down to verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's talking to me now. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be one in us that the, wor the world may believe that you sent me. Here's the pattern that he is... Well, let me go on and read the next two verses. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now I'm telling you, I read verse 22 and 23 and I choke a little. Like, that one, I see it in principle, but man, you are going to glorify me the way the Father glorified Jesus? I have a hard time with that because I know me. But here's the pattern. The Father sent the Son into the world to glorify the Father so that the, the, the Jewish nation, because remember, Jesus was primarily sent to the Jews, that the, the, the Jewish nation could know their Father. When they, as a nation, rejected Jesus, then Jesus went to the cross did what he did, died the perfect death, raised up. We were raised with him. And he says, now, I am going back to my Father, but I'm sending you into the world, and I'm glorifying you in the world, so you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can introduce the world to me. And when they get to know me, they get to know the Father. It's all about knowing the Father. But we stand in His stead. And He just said, I am going to glorify them. 
so that they can show me to the world. The tragedy is when people usually look at us as Christians, they don't see Jesus. But they should. That's my exhortation today. Now, I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read through these first 12 verses very quickly. I'm going to try my best not to stop and, 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 and comment on them. But this, I'm going to read it from the New Living Testament. And I don't know, do we have the New Living Testament? If not, you'll have to just try to follow in the New King James. But this is 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, modern-day Turkey. Verse 2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. There's that great price again. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you can receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Peter is saying here, look, you have been bought with a price and you have an inheritance that you cannot imagine, and Jesus is protecting it and keeping it and saving it for you, and it will be revealed in its fullness when Jesus, when it, Jesus wraps this all up. Now, the great part is we have it in a measure today. Verse 6, so be truly glad. There, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a while. I don't like that verse. Heaven is my home. Heaven is my destiny. I have it now. I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. Paul said that in Ephesians. But I can endure the trials here for a little while by looking at heaven. Paul said it. He said, these little trials that I have endured don't even begin to compare with the glory that God's got set before me. And I'm looking at Paul's little trials. Man was beaten almost to death. In fact, I'm con- convinced that at Derby they stoned him till he was dead. And the disciples gathered around and God raised him from the dead and sent him off. He said, you're not done yet. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament by volume. We have some trials. Verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, let me, let me make something clear here. God is not saying here, Peter is not saying here, that God's going to put you through trials to test your faith. 
What Peter is saying here is that you have a right to be in heaven right now. But God has left you in a lost and dying world. And living in a lost and dying world is going to test your faith. But when your faith gets tested and it holds, it will bring glory to God, but it also will bring glory to you. And God will reward that faithfulness at the end when we get our our rewards. Verse 8, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's suffering and His great glory afterwards. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven so is all or excuse me it is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. That's a prelude man. But then you have one of the most important words in all of scripture starts verse 13. So Let me interpret that for you. Peter's saying, I've said all this. Man, you've got heavens waiting on you. You've got glory waiting on you. You've got rewards waiting on you. You have more stuff waiting on you than you can imagine. So, because of that, this is what I need you to do. This is a covenant. This is a contract. This is a, an agreement between God and me. It's not an agreement, but, and, and let me clear this up. It is an agreement between God and His church. But it needs to be more personal than that. This is God talking to me. Me personally. You could put right in there, right after that so, you could put in parentheses, so, John Roberts. You can put your name in there. because He's talking just as personally to you. He said, so, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. This is what I was talking about earlier when I listed out all the things this week. I had not, it just dawned on me, I had not prepared my mind for what I needed to prepare it for. It wasn't that I wasn't in faith. It wasn't that I was off in some gross sin. It's just that I had grown passive and allowed the, 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 the winds of my life just to take me wherever they wanted to. And let me just throw this in. This isn't in my notes, but it, it'll, it'll, it'll fit here. We get really upset about the sin that's out in the world. And we've, our nation right now, we're being tested sorely. But what do we expect? Sinners sin. Now, I'm not going to roll my sleeves up. You, you can see the one back of my hand. I got a big bruise. When I went to the ER, it turned out all I, I had a really bad case of gastritis or I've got an ulcer. I don't know yet. We'll test coming to find out. Whatever it was, it hurt. It started at 11 o'clock Sunday night, and at 7 o'clock Monday morning, I finally woke up Gina, and I said, get dressed, get in the car, take me to the hospital. I can't take it anymore. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a tough old bird, but I'm telling you, I was crying it hurt so hard, so bad. 
I pulled in that, that, went in that room. First nurse came in. She put an IV in. She slid that little thing to try to feed it. She said, oh, I blew that one. So she went to the hand. And I'm my hand, because I've lived, I've been outside working most of my life, my skin on my hand, every person that tries to take blood from my hand, it's like, good Lord, this is like alligator skin. And it hurts, but, you know, you learn, just close your eyes. It'll be all right. She got it in, started to thread the little tube up in there for the IV. Oh, that one blew out. She said, I'm going to get your nurse. Let the nurse do this. He came in. He starts putting one in. He almost gets it in. Oh, it blew up again. So I've had three times, and these are big needles. These are IV needles, and they hurt. And I'm thinking, you got about one more time because my stomach's hurting really bad. It hurt bad enough I had to have two sh- I got two shots of morphine before the pain subsided. But here's my point. I let him stick me four times, and it hurt every time. The nurse came in and said, the doctor wants to give you some morphine. I've had morphine before. I don't like morphine. It makes me feel weird. And I said, yeah, I don't know. He said, well, you really need it. And that's his choice of the drug, and there are reasons he chooses what drug he chooses. So I said, okay, shoot me up. And then they went up, they took, took me to get an ultrasound because they thought it might have been my gallbladder, and they take that ultrasound probe, and on my stomach that is still aching, they press that thing down on that stomach, and I'm telling you, I like to come out of my skin. And she rolled that thing around, and it hurt. And I'm, and I'm thinking, is this thing ever going to let up? And then I got back in the room, they finally they gave me the second shot of morphine about 40 minutes after that second shot of morphine. Oh, I'm back to normal. And man, I was gone. I slept for about three hours. It was a short stay after that because I slept through most of it. Here's my point, because I started this tale with we get upset with sinners sinning. Do you know why sinners sin? They're in pain. And they will do anything to get rid of that pain. I went to that ER. I let them stick me. I let them explode IVs in me. I let them give me morphine, which I did not want. I let them take that ultrasound probe and poke it in my stomach when my stomach was about to make me crawl out of my skin. All for one reason. I was in pain, and I wanted the pain gone. I didn't care what I had to do. I was at the point where if the doctor had come in and said, I got a scalpel, I need to cut you open and take that thing out. I would have said, go for it. I'll do it. Don't care. I just want the pain gone. I was willing to do anything to let the, get the pain out of my life. Sinners don't have our spiritual capacity to fight it. And to be honest with you, I, at that point, I wasn't fighting spiritually. I looked at my wife and I said, you pray because I ain't got any more prayers in me. All I got right now is just I hurt and I want it, I want it gone. That's why we are required to glorify God so people will look at us and see they live the same hard life I do. And yet they're not in the pain that I'm in. And it gives them hope. And it gives us an opportunity to say, you know why I'm not in pain? And I know all of us have painful lives. 
I can match you story for story when it comes to pain. I can match you story for story when it comes to tragedy. I've known tragedy. I've lived it. I almost died from it. But I'm not there now because Jesus delivered me from it. And I can stand up and say, I am free from that pain. I'm free from that. Does that mean you never, you never have bad memories? Oh, dear God, no. I have bad memories all the time. But they don't rule my life. And when I come across someone whose their life is being ruled by that pain, I can look at them and say, there is hope. Look at me. Jesus delivered me from that. Jesus delivered me from this. Now, He hasn't delivered me from everything. Let me rephrase that. There are a lot of experiences I haven't had and that Jesus hasn't. I've never been an addict, a drug addict, so I don't know what it's like to get delivered from drugs. So I can't identify with that. But i got a lot of problems. I know what it's like to get delivered from pain by Jesus. And that I can give people hope. But I have to prepare my mind. That's what Paul or Peter's saying here in 1 Peter 1. He said, gird up your minds, I think the, the King James says. New living, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus is revealed to the world. I need to get my mind off of the immediate problem and get my mind over on eternity. Remember, Hebrews chapter 12 said that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before Him. He went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told the Father, I don't want to do this, but I will submit myself to your will. And he did it, and he did it, and, 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 and took all of the things that he took because we, he knew we were at the end of that process. And I can't imagine how hard that process was. To die for the sins of the world, to be fully righteous and take on the sins of the world, to have never known pain and take every pain that's ever been experienced, I can't imagine that, but he did it, but he did it, and he girded his mind and got focused on the end, not on where he was at the moment. Second or First Peter chapter 2, drop down to verse 9, says, but you are not like that. You're not like, and he, he's, he's gone through and, and given them the, the, what the world's like in the first eight verses. He says, you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. I can do this because God chose me. You're a royal priesthood. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. God help us when we get involved with sinners and our only reaction is, I wish you'd just go on and die and go to hell. I'm tired of having you in my world. If Jesus had had that attitude, you know what would have happened? When Pilate came and said, look, do you realize I have the power of hell and death over, or the power of death over you? And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. 
if my army were of this world. And I just always have this vision that every angel in heaven reached down and grabbed their sword by the hilt, thinking he's going to call on us right now. Remember, in the Old Testament, one angel killed 186,000 soldiers in one night. Can you imagine what the hosts of heaven would do if they came to the earth to defend Jesus? This place would have been picked clean. And Jesus said, but I've got a destiny. My destiny is to go buy them out of their slavery and bring them home with me. When, when Paul says that he led captivity, captive, I was in that captivity that he led to heaven. When he arose and sat down at the throne, I sat down with him. And it was going to be 2,000 years before I was ever born. And yet I was seated with him. Now, explain that to me. I can't. Same way I can't explain what dark matter and dark energy are, I can't explain that. I can't, I can't explain how I was saved from the foundation of the world before the first atom was existed, before empty space existed. God saw me as saved, and the universe didn't even exist. I don't understand it, but I am awfully glad that it's true. And then 1 Peter 2, continue in 11, he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. I need to keep my life so sanctified that when people look at me and their, their intention is, I'm going to find something wrong with you. Well, unfortunately, you don't have to dig too deep to find something wrong with me. But would to God we could live up to the, the, the declaration here by Peter that God has given me all of this, and I'm living in a way that when they look and examine my life, I can't find anything. Now, primarily, I'll tell you, this is, this is great for the, the, when we come against Satan. When you stand up for your rights and you back the devil off of your life, you back the devil off of your family. You got loved ones that are not saved. In fact, they're quite hostile. Keep in mind, right before you finally break, you get your most violent. You know the old cliche, it's darkest before the dawn. That's not literally true. It gets light right before dawn. But it's, 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 a, it's a, an old saying because, and it's an accepted truism, because when, when people are, are, when you are wrestling with something, right before you get breakthrough, you think it's never going to happen. But you need to keep praying for those people. You need to keep declaring, this is who they are. They are the righteousness of God in Christ. I see them saved. Jesus saw me saved even when I was at my worst. He saw me seated with him. When I was living for the devil, how could he do that? Because he believed in me. We have to believe in others. We have to believe in the world. That's why I said earlier, we are called the United States of America, and we need to get behind that and declare our country is united. Well, brother, that's just not factually true. Well, the facts can take a backseat to the truth. The truth is we are. Well, how can you say that? Because I'm in authority here. 
Well, you really think you're something? Yes, I do. I think I got the Holy Spirit of God. I got the, I got the being that created the whole thing on the inside of me. Of course I'm something. When I command it in His name, it has to happen. The thing is, what are we doing? Are we standing up using our voices to curse others or to bless them? It's easy to curse. It ain't easy to bless. And the reason that some of us aren't, and the reason that that I think Peter said this in verse 13, so prepare your minds. Your mind is your primary enemy. And your emotions, because most of us are ruled more by our emotions than we want to admit. When I feel angry, I act angry. That's what I've said before. Sometimes you just need to go into your bathroom, look in your mirror, and I'm going to personalize it, and I just need to look in that mirror and say, John Roberts, you need to shut up and get in line. When my dad, well, dad, dad never said, dad just acted. But mama... You know, the rule of, of childhood is you want to get spanked by your mom and lectured by your dad. But my mother, there were times you knew you were in trouble if she walked over and grabbed your little face and turned your face to face her and she got one hand on each cheek. Your thought is, death is close. <laughs> death is close. She brought me into the world. She's about ready to take me out. But she would, she would get your attention and see, young man, I don't know who you think you are. I don't know where you think you are. But you're in my house. And you are going to behave yourself. And you're not going to act like that anymore. And if you do, your daddy's going to have some, not, some real quick words and, and a, a little discipline. And, and then she went on for another three hours to wear you down. There are times when you need to do that to yourself. When you're ready to lash out, when your emotions are running high and you just want to give that someone that last little piece of your mind, you need to grab yourself by each cheek and say, straighten up, straighten up, because you rule yourself. And when it comes right down to it, your spirit can rule over your soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions, and your body has to follow along. It's, it's always that there, you are a three-part being. You are a spirit, you live inside a body, and you have a soul. And if the spirit and the, and the mind gang up on the body, the body doesn't have any right. Now, it'll complain, it'll scream, but it has to go along. But if your soul lines up with your body, your spirit will just take a back seat. That's why when you, you, know, you, you declare, I'm going on a diet, for me, it's not ice cream or chocolate, it's mashed potatoes, or even worse, really good made um, macaroni and cheese. Oh, you get it out, and it's sitting there, and you, no, I'm not eating that. Your body will talk to you. Let, my mind does. Maybe yours doesn't. Maybe that's not something. Mine will talk to me. It'll say, you really want just one little bite. And one little bite goes to two little bites. And, and, well, this is going to be a cheat day. And then you have a cheat week. And then you have a cheat month. And then you have a cheat year. And next thing you know, you're back where you didn't want to be. Your spirit and your mind need to gang up and say, Body, shut up. You think you want to bite? We just won't feed you for 24 hours. It'll really scream then. All right, you want to scream a little more? This would be like back in, in the day when your mama looked at you and says, 
You want something to cry about? I got something you can cry about. And you straightened up real quick. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. I do not want that. Mm-mm. The only time I ever called my mother ma'am when I heard those expressions. So, sum it up. What do we do? Our whole purpose in living is to give glory to God. And we do that by figuring out, reading what, what Peter explained to us, what Jesus explained to us. This is my inheritance. This is what God's done for me. And get my eyes on that and not on the little problem that I have. And it may be a major problem, but it's small to God. And get my eyes on Him. Remember, Jesus in chapter 17, what's the first thing He did? He said, He looked to heaven. That means Jesus got his perspective off what was about to happen, and he said, okay, Father, it's just me and you. And Jesus said, I'm going to give them my glory. You need to keep telling yourself, I got the glory of Jesus on the inside of me. I need to let it out. I need to let people see it. Well, I don't see any glory in me. Well, you're not looking in the right place. It's like the guy that, you know, got to heaven. I'll finish with this one. Guy got to heaven, and Jesus, they were giving out the rewards, and he said, well, I can't give you one for patience or loving people because you weren't real patient and you didn't love a lot. And the guy looks at Jesus, and he said, what do you mean? I didn't have any love in my heart. I didn't have any patience in my heart. And Jesus says, oh, wait a minute. And he reaches down in his chest, and he pulls out this little card that says love. It's still in the plastic wrapper, never been opened. And he reaches back in, and he pulls out patience, still in the plastic, never been opened. It's all in there. You need to open the wrapper and start using it. Amen? And the more you use it, the better you get at it. It's like everything else. The more you practice, the better you become. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.